All right, I'm turning this evening to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter number 11 as we continue our exposition through the book of Matthew. And we've now arrived here at chapter number 11. And we're going to read just the first three verses uh, by way of introduction. And we'll also uh, get our uh, subject for this evening. Matthew chapter 11, beginning there in verse number 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples... He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? We're going to deal with the subject tonight of the works of Christ as our title However, we're going to look primarily at the question that comes from a seemingly peculiar person. We see the words here of a very interesting and somewhat very difficult passage. In here, in this particular text, Matthew tells us of a very interesting question that comes to Jesus via John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist is asking or seeking this inquiry as to whether or not we should be looking for another. Or are you the one who has come? Now, if you know about John the Baptist, you know that this is a very strange question coming from the man who not long before had cried out boldly and loudly, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist now asking this question, he is in prison. And so this leads us to a number of different questions that we're going to ask as we look at this text tonight as well. Uh, but when John had heard in the prison, it says he heard about the works of Christ. That's what verse number two tells us. When John had heard about the works of Christ in the prison, it says he responded to hearing about those works by sending two of his disciples. Now, uh, just to give us some, some background here in context, remember that John the Baptist, when he came onto the scene, uh, not, did not take very long where he had a group of followers who are referred to in Scripture as the disciples of John. And as a matter of fact, those disciples of John had um, at times even uh, been not in conflict, but had even been questioning what some of Jesus' disciples were doing. And John's disciples were wondering, well, why don't they do the same things that we do? So there was, in fact, this, uh, these disciples. And it does tell us that John sends forth two of his disciples. Uh, now, this is a, it is a difficult uh, passage to deal with because we see John who seemingly uh, knew all about Jesus as the Messiah, knew all about the coming of uh, the Messiah. He prophesied about him and even announced him uh, when he came on to the scene. Now in the previous five chapters we have looked at all the things that Jesus was doing to prepare the 12 apostles. He gave them words of instruction. He gave them words of warning. He gave them commands where to preach who not to preach to, what to do if the message was not received, to shake the dust off of their feet. He had given them explicit directions as to what to do. 
But yet we see at the beginning of chapter 11 that now Jesus somewhat, we see, separates from his disciples. He sends them on their way. And it says that when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. So there is now at a time where Jesus is separated uh, bodily from his disciples. And it's during this time of separation that John the Baptist sends forth two of his own disciples to ask Jesus a question. And we're told here that John, again, had heard in the prison about these works of Christ. Now, what Matthew does not tell us in this text, Matthew does not explain whether these were works that Jesus did in this this specific time frame, okay? So it doesn't tell us that, that John is questioning the works that Jesus is doing right now. But we are to imply from the text that he is saying the works that Christ has done in a general sense. But again, it may seem insignificant. But notice the verse number two. John does not say, now when John had heard in prison the works of Jesus, that's not what he says. He says, when John had heard about the works of Christ. Now, it's important to understand that when he speaks of the works of Christ, that phraseology speaks of the works of the Messiah. Okay, so John doesn't say, tell me about the work. I've heard about the works of Jesus. He said, no, I've heard about the works of Christ, the works of the Messiah. Now, Jesus, of course, is the Messiah. Nobody's going to disagree with that. But it is important that there's a distinction made between these two. Because the works of Christ being the works of the Messiah, John recognizes that what he's hearing about are in fact works that the Messiah would do. Now you can see why there's a little bit of a quandary here as to why is John asking this question. If John knew that Jesus was the Messiah, if John stood and said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, If John had somewhat hesitatingly baptized Jesus, why is now he asking, is he the one that's to come or are we to look for another? So the question I want to pose to us tonight is ask ourselves the question, is John stumbling in his faith? Is John's faith weakening? What exactly is happening if John is recognizing that this is in fact the Messiah, he's hearing about the works of Christ, but yet now he asks this question that he sends his two, these two disciples to go and ask. Now I want to break this down into really three kind of simple headings. And these first three verses, I've entitled these, I gave these the heading of the expectations of the messianic prophecies. The expectations of the messianic prophecies. There, is, there was an expectation by every Jew and everybody who had heard these prophets about what this Messiah would do, what this Messiah would look like, where this Messiah would go. Those are the messianic prophecies. Those are the things which the prophets in the Old Testament had prophesied about And it's the very things that were calling the world and calling the Jews specifically, this is the Messiah you should look for, and this is how he will appear. 
Now remember, Jesus is the one who had arranged for these disciples to go out and to preach. And he said his plan was to send them out two by two throughout the cities of Israel. And then he himself was going to follow up in the cities in which they had preached. That's what it means there when it says he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Jesus was going to kind of follow up with what the disciples had done and where they had preached. So the Lord had given these instructions. Now, we see here that when we get into this story about that very first verse, again, we've, also, we've often talked about how uh, verse or chapter divisions sometimes are un- un- unfortunate. Here's one of them, because really verse 1 attaches itself to the end of chapter number 10. So really, chapter 2 begins this new narrative about John. And I think you can see that in your, your copy of the Bible where you could see I, verse 1 of chapter 11 goes very well with the end of chapter 10. So John's in prison. And the questions we have to ask ourselves, is that really that first question? Is this an instance of John the Baptist's faith wavering? Is this an instance of John the Baptist's faith stumbling? Is John's question a question that signifies unbelief? What is the question? Some of these, some people believe that this is John's faith beginning to wane. Some have suggested that this is John's faith beginning to weaken. They've also gone on to make the assumption, well, maybe his faith is wavering, his faith is weakening because he is in prison. Maybe, maybe John is wondering, why is the Messiah leaving me in this prison cell? Why is the Messiah not rescuing me? Why is he leaving me here? This really opens up a lot of different scenarios and questions that we have to ask ourselves. Now, if we do know those things about John, and we do know that he recognized and knew the Messiah, he knew Christ, is John's question that he sends the two disciples with for his benefit or for the benefit of his disciples. In other words, was John telling those disciples to go ask if this was the Messiah or if someone else was coming to strengthen their faith or to strengthen his? It's really, it's really a fair question. Because if, in fact, John is wavering a bit, he's in prison. He may be asking himself those questions. He may be having moments where his faith is, he's not an unbeliever, but maybe he himself needs some encouragement. He needs to be reminded of what the Messiah was going to do. But what about the perspective of helping his disciples understand the expectations, to understand what the prophets had been preaching about? That maybe John was sending them on their way in order that their strength may be Their faith might be strengthened because their leader was imprisoned. Jesus himself often would strengthen the the faith of his apostles by using the parables and using the illustrations to try to teach them and instruct them and say, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider this, not because he was doubting it, 
but because he was using that to strengthen his disciples. Now, I am taking the position, again, I don't know if we should be dogmatic about this, I'm taking the position that John might have had a bit of wavering in his thought process, but that primarily he was doing this to strengthen his disciples and to clearly differentiate that he was not the Messiah. Because remember this, John the Baptist was almost so convincing that he was the Messiah that people thought he was, he, that he was Jesus himself. And that's why he says, I'm not worthy to even tie the shoe. I'm not worthy of the latchet. I'm not worthy because people started to treat him as the Messiah. So John's question was very well put, but he also sent them asking that question that they would receive a very specific reply to the question. In other words, he didn't just send them there with the hope that they might get an answer, but he sent them that they would get a distinct reply to the question. Now again, some of your study Bibles and some of your notes in Bibles, depending on what you have, the one that, the one that I use is the, the Reformation Heritage Bible. And I want to just read to you this note. The question says about, Art thou he that should come? says, John struggled with how Christ's ministry of grace fit with the judgment and coming wrath. His disappointment tested his hope, yet he looked to Christ for help. So even the, the writers of the, the study Bible that I'm using were taking more of the position uh, that John was the one that was struggling. That John was the one who needed a fresh infusion of hope. And again, I would not dismiss that and say that that's not possible, because I think it is. But I think John also had in his mind that his disciples also needed to be strengthened, and he wanted them to see the real Messiah, the fulfillment of those prophecies, those messianic prophecies. In verses 4 and 5, we get the second heading, which is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. The fulfillment. So there's expectations of what those prophecies were going to be, and then there's the fulfillment of those. Notice Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, the people that have taken the strong position that John was completely wavering in his faith have made the connection that verse 6 was intended to show us that Jesus was angry at John by saying, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Almost as if John was somehow, Jesus was somehow rebuking John for being offended. I don't take that position. I think what we're seeing happening before us is that the Lord is setting clear evidence before John's disciples. And the evidence that he puts before the disciples of John are his miracles. Because what Jesus announces to these disciples is this. He said, Tell, show John again those things which ye do hear and see. Jesus points to the messianic 
actions that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus had been performing these deeds when John's disciples asked the question. So what Jesus is actually doing is he is reminding, again, the Messiah will grant sight to the blind. He will make the lame walk. Lepers will be cleansed. The deaf will hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. In these days, remember, these miracles are being used as a, 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 a strengthening of the faith. A supporting of the faith. So let's say, let's take that position that even, in fact, if John was wavering a bit in the prison cell, and John also realized the disciples need to see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those prophecies, and this is what we should have been expecting. Is it possible that John, his faith needed to be strengthened and supported as well, and the disciples needed to see clearly that Jesus was the Messiah and that John wasn't? So when the disciples are told, go back and show John these things, I don't think it was just for the benefit of John. I think it was a benefit for the disciples as well. John, what John had heard in prison were these things. That Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was giving blind sight. He was making the lame to walk. Lepers were being cleansed. The gospel was being preached to them. And that Jesus' words in verse number 6 there, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me, is really a great reminder that when we think about what God has done through Jesus Christ, that this is not something that we should be offended by, even if it leads a man, such as John, to be put in a prison cell. The messengers received that command. Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. We have something happening here. The disciples of John were actually seeing these miracles. You realize John was in prison for almost the entire time when Jesus was performing his miracles. In other words, their ministries were not running parallel. It wasn't like John was on one side of the town doing miracles and preaching and that Jesus was on the other side preaching. John had to hear about the miracles because John wasn't on the outside. So the disciples are commanded by Jesus, go and tell John what you've heard personally. Go and tell John what you have seen with your own eyes personally. Do you realize that what Jesus was saying is those two disciples have enough evidence of the messianic prophecies being fulfilled before their eyes. They have enough before their eyes to go back to John and give him a full report that this is the Messiah. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here. Jesus knows exactly, as the master teacher, not only what John needed, but what these disciples needed. The cures that Jesus was performing, these were all miracles. But do you realize that he, Jesus was not doing miracles that were not prophesied about? These were the miracles of all these things coming together. This was the cumulative proof that this is the Messiah because the prophets had said this is what this Messiah will do. 
Now I want to draw our attention to a couple Old Testament prophecies, specifically the prophet Isaiah, who spoke probably the clearest about what the Messiah would do as far as these works of Christ or the works of the Messiah. Go to Isaiah 29 and look at verse 18. Again, we won't see the entirety of the context here because we, we can't read the whole chapter. But Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied much about the, the work uh, that the Messiah would do. And Isaiah 29, 18 says this, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. There's no question that Isaiah was pointing to a time when the Messiah would come and he would open the eyes of the blind. He would be and man would rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35.5. Isaiah 35.5. Notice again, there's this emphasis on what the Messiah would do, the coming of the Lord. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. When Jesus was performing these miracles, keep this in mind. These were not just random miracles that Jesus was doing that happened to match up to the prophecies. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies. There was the expectations of the messianic prophecies, right? This is what you should expect. Again, let's go back to John. John in prison, maybe his expectations were not exactly being fulfilled the way he thought they would be. Remember, John probably would, at times, would have fallen prey to the thinking of the day that when the Jews' Messiah came, that he would immediately set up the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus did. That's why many refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, because they said our king, would, our Messiah would never come and submit himself and come in such humility. When our Messiah comes, he is coming and he is going to overthrow everything and going to set up his kingdom right now. The problem is that's not what they were saying. The prophet, especially Isaiah, didn't say that the way you'll know this is the Messiah is by him overthrowing governments. The way you'll know this is the Messiah because he's going to make the blind to see, he's going to make the deaf to hear, and he's going to make those be able to hear and to see. And then probably the clearest one, if these aren't clear enough, is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 And this is the actual text when Jesus is in the synagogue one day. And you know this story. He goes into the synagogue and the the keeper of the scroll hands the scroll to Jesus. And when Jesus opens the scroll, this is the text that he turned to. was Isaiah 61. And here's what it says. Now imagine the Messiah himself, Jesus Christ, standing in the synagogue, reading off as the exact fulfillment of what he's reading. Here it is. The Spirit of the Lord 
God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, this text clearly is presenting that the Messiah would be Christ. And what it highlights here is it is highlighting that Christ, the Messiah's office, is that he would be a prophet who would preach salvation and would preach judgment. This is very similar to what Jesus himself, when he was speaking that in the synagogue, said. And you'll know the account in the Gospels. He read those scriptures. He read it, and the Bible says he sat down. It was a powerful moment in the synagogue because the Jews that were listening to him read the scroll were watching the Messiah himself, the expected Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies, read the scroll. He reads it. He doesn't say anything else. He just sits down as an indication that the Messiah, who you've been expecting, the Messiah who would fulfill all those prophecies, is seated right before you. Now again, we go back to our text and we look again, these questions that are being asked by John and the disciples being sent back. So remember this, that these were the, the, the evidences, these were the proofs that the dead would be raised up, we saw there. Look in verse, verse 3. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Those two wonders, those two miracles are put side by side. The Messiah, I hope you're getting this, the Messiah would raise the dead and at the same time the poor would have the gospel preached to them. John's disciples think about this, had come at exactly the time when the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry was in full swing. These wonderful works, if we would have been alive in that day, these miracles of Jesus, we've got to remember this, every miracle that Jesus performed is not, is not registered or recorded in the Bible. Now we have the ones we're supposed to know. We have the ones God wanted us to know. But even there are historical books that talk about the ministry of Jesus at the time, talking about that these miracles were coming in such rapid succession that it was happening seemingly all the time. John's disciples were watching all this happen. That's why when Jesus says to them, go back and show John again those things, is because John never saw most of those miracles with his own eyes. So was John's faith wavering a bit? It might have been. You know, there's a big difference between what we expect and what actually happens. Have you ever had your expectations thwarted where you expected something to happen, you were looking forward to it happening, and yet it didn't happen? Your expectations did not match up with what really happened? 
Jesus in his own, was, was the, his own proof that he was the Messiah. If people were to argue about the gospel or argue about who the Messiah was, what was Jesus' commandment? Let them hear and see what the Messiah does. And then that phrase, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Who is the blessed man? Or maybe I'll rephrase that. Are all people blessed? No, the blessed man is one who believes. The blessed man is one who has a faith that although that faith might stumble at times, that faith might waver at times, that faith is never truly lost. I don't believe that Jesus was rebuking John by saying what he said in verse number six, but I think he was giving a light reminder to not only the disciples, but not only to John, that listen, there are going to be times in this walk of faith when you might stumble a bit and your expectations might not match up with what's actually happening before you. Folks, I don't think we realize the Jewish nation's expectations were completely shocked when Jesus Christ did not set up that kingdom immediately. But it wasn't because they didn't know. The prophets had all said, when this Messiah comes, the way you're going to know Him, you're going to know Him by the miracles He performs. You're going to know Him by the message that He preaches. You're going to know Him by the fact that He raises the dead and that the gospel is going to be preached. A blessed man, John had not fallen from grace. John had not fallen from the faith, but it is possible that John had a moment of stumbling. Maybe he felt he expected to be delivered and he wasn't. But blessed is the man who could be left in prison could be silence of his testimony. We're going to talk about this next week. John the Baptist was not a quiet man. John the Baptist was a preacher who had been silenced when he was put in prison. It's an amazing thing if you really want to do a character study, study the history of John Bunyan and study the life of John the Baptist. And in both times, a man's voice to preach the gospel was attempted to be silenced. And yet God's word still went forth. But John had gone from preaching on the housetops and preaching every day and preaching everywhere and, see, and preaching repentance and he's been silenced. He's been put in jail. But isn't the man who's still in prison, even though his testimony is silenced, even though he seems to have been forgotten by the Lord, can a man like that still have faith? I think John still had faith, but I think John also had a bit of a stumble. We do need to guard, though, I believe, I think by way of application, and we'll, we'll pick up the, our study next week. We'll start again in verse 7. But I think we need to guard against being dissatisfied with what Jesus has already done. Christ has already done everything necessary to secure our redemption. And there's all of us that deal with expectations. 
We deal with expectations of what we think God should do, what God's going to do. We have expectations of how the end of, the, how the end of the, this world is going to go. And we have the ideas of who, what God should do here and what God should do there. And let's just remember this, that God Himself, through Christ the Son, has done everything necessary to save us and to secure our eternal, our eternal destiny. We are indeed blessed people. But that question that John sent, whether that question was for himself or that question was for his disciples, it didn't make him an unbeliever. You see, when we think about somebody stumbling or we think about someone failing to meet our expectations, please remember this about God. God is under absolutely positively no obligation to do anything for us. He's under no obligation to do anything more for us than He's already done. We might say it seems unfair that John the Baptist who went and preached and did everything that he was commanded to do would find his end in a prison cell, would have his head removed off of his shoulders, We might say that's unfair, but who are we to argue with what God has done? God Himself allowed whatever came to pass to come to pass with John Himself. Next week, what we'll begin to see will be the third heading. And that heading will deal with the faithfulness of the Messianic prophet. Because what Jesus is now going to do, which is going to prove to us that I don't think he was rebuking John at all. Because he's going to turn the story now and he's going to commend John for what John had done. He's going to commend him for the way he preached. He's going to commend him for what he was saying. Which is the evidence, I believe, that Jesus himself was not saying, John, you're a failure. John, you're offended by me. But they were gentle reminders as to who Jesus was and what the gospel would do. So we'll deal with that next week with the faithfulness of the Messianic prophet. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and sing our closing song first. Let's turn over to uh, hymn number 365. And it will stand as we close tonight. I could go on for another hour, but we won't do that tonight. 365, let's sing to him, Ancient Words.